As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Taiwan, or officially the Republic of China, a country best known for two things, its tense relationship with the other China, and providing the world with advanced semiconductors that have become crucial for running every part of our daily lives. It's unfortunate that such a large, vibrant, and above all else influential economy only ever gets talked about in the context of these two issues, because there's so much more to learn from this economy in how it's serving its people, but also how it's contributing to the global economy. Today, Taiwan is one of the most prosperous countries in the world, and part of the reason that the People's Republic of China is trying so hard to discredit the country on the international stage is that this island serves as a clear demonstration of what the mainland could have been if it wasn't for the missteps of their government in the past, and even more recently. Adjusted for purchasing power parity, Taiwan is the 12th most productive country in the world, beating out countries like the Netherlands, Germany, Australia and Canada. That productivity has translated to extremely high living standards for Taiwanese citizens, who perform better on the Human Development Index than the United States, South Korea and Japan. But up until very recently, it wasn't like this at all. When the country as it exists today was founded, it was far poorer than mainland China, a country that had far greater access to resources, even on a per capita level. The lessons that economists can learn from the Taiwanese economic miracle are far more important and applicable to our own economies than speculation over future conflicts. Beyond that, and as important as microchip manufacturing is not just to the country but to the entire global economy, Taiwan did not achieve its current level of economic success from one industry alone. So, what are the economic challenges facing the Taiwanese economy? How has it achieved such consistent economic growth despite these challenges? And finally, could the same lesson be applied to the long list of struggling developing economies today? Once we have done all that, we can put Taiwan on the Economics Explained national leaderboard. Which we have done before, where it got a rather impressive score of 7.2, but even since then, the economy has grown significantly, so it's time for an update. Taiwan, officially the Republic of China, was formed more than 100 years ago on the Chinese mainland. The free market, democratic ideals of the new nation went head-to-head with the Chinese Communist Party and the country they wanted to make, the People's Republic of China. After World War II, the leaders of the Republic of China were forced to flee the mainland by communist forces that, after decades of fighting, eventually comprehensively seized power. The Republic of China set up on the island of Formosa, today better known as Taiwan. That's the incredibly oversimplified backstory of how Taiwan came to be, but it still doesn't explain why today it's so universally shunned by most of the world. Up until 1971, the US and its allies officially recognised the Republic of China as the real China. Of course, that was at least partially because their government wasn't communist. Eventually, the People's Republic of China, the China that we all think of when we think of China, became too big to ignore and a vote was made to switch the two governments at the UN. Obviously, most of the Soviet states and other communist countries supported this vote, but even some true free market NATO members also voted for the People's Republic because it was becoming one of the world's major powers and they had nuclear weapons. The UN was meant to be a forum of the world's countries and it worked overtime during the Cold War to prevent escalations, but that only works if the big players are part of the discussions. There are lots of countries in the world today that exist because they separated or came apart during civil wars. North and South Korea both technically lay claim to the entirety of the Korean Peninsula, 
but none of them were at odds with the world's second most powerful nation, and mainland China has in the past made it clear that if countries want to maintain diplomatic relationships with them, they need to recognise their one China policy, which says that Taiwan is just part of the one and only China that's just going through a bit of a rebellious stage at the moment. Officially, the CCP recognises the Republic of China as the Taiwanese authorities, basically diplomatically calling them a rogue state. Again, incredibly oversimplified, but the reason it's so important for Taiwan's economy is that the modern globalised world runs on formal relationships between countries. If Taiwan is not recognised as a country, it makes things like international trade deals and foreign direct investment very difficult. Mainland China knows this, and it's a big part of the reason why they've maintained such political pressure for countries to ignore Taiwan and not to do anything to suggest in any way that they are a real country. This is why it's such a big deal when government leaders from major nations like the USA make visits to Taiwan. More recently, the Taiwanese government has been able to loophole their way through these restrictions. Taiwan has been able to represent itself at the World Trade Organization, APEC and even the Olympics by acting as Chinese Taipei, which allows countries to deal with them directly but maintain that this is just a state of the Chinese nation, like if Australia drafted a trade deal directly with California. Of course, this skirting of the rules requires cooperation on both sides, and for a long time the risks just weren't worth it for the countries to engage formally with Taiwan. But that started to change after the Great Turnaround. Prior to the 1980s, Taiwan was a desperately poor country. Its expulsion from the UN in the 1973 oil crisis also severely affected it, and for the most part it was just an agrarian backwater that the world was mostly trying to ignore. Domestically, the country was still under martial law, because technically Taiwan was just seen as a large military base where the exiled government was planning military operations to retake the mainland. Of course, that never ended up happening, and today the country has all but officially lost any interest in any hostilities towards the mainland. By the 1980s, the government had realised this and started the development of the 10 major construction projects. When people think of Taiwan's economy, they only ever think of microchip manufacturing. And while that's important to every other country in the world that needs chips to run their modern economies, these 10 projects were arguably a more important turning point for Taiwan's economy internally. The 10 projects were shipyards, oil refineries, transportation infrastructure, a major shipping port, an international airport, and a nuclear power plant. Many of these are still in operation today, 40 years later. These projects were immensely expensive and required the ragtag government at the time to take on a lot of debt to build. As with all economies, the plan was that these projects would enable the development of new industries which would make back the money that they spent on these projects and more in taxes. Simply building the projects wasn't enough to achieve this. The best infrastructure in the world is useless if there's no industry to take advantage of it. If you build it, they will come is not true of international macroeconomics. If Taiwan was going to have any hope of repaying its new loans, it would need to attract new industries fast. Typically developing countries do this by acting as an easy place for foreign companies to set up their operation to take advantage of industries that they have a comparative advantage in. A comparative advantage in economics just means it's more efficient for one country to produce a given good or service than another country. The United States has a comparative advantage over Italy in producing commercial jet aircraft because it has a well-developed aerospace industry, a huge domestic market, and infrastructure to make building massive planes possible. Italy has a comparative advantage over the United States in producing luxury sports cars and handbags, because they have an established culture of handcrafting luxury goods. The best thing for these two countries to do would be to make just what they're good at and trade with each other so Italy gets high quality planes and the US gets luxury handbags. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. 
On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The comparative advantage of developing countries tends to be their low-cost labor force and natural resources, if they have any. Which Taiwan does, a little bit, but not enough to develop their economy around. Now, Taiwan faced some major challenges in building out these industries. It had the infrastructure to support them, but the country at this time was still effectively a military dictatorship under martial law. It also didn't have a huge population, and there were concerns over how disputes with mainland China would play out. On top of everything, it also had a lot of foreign debt, thanks to the major infrastructure projects it built out to attract industry to the country in the first place. To potential foreign investors, Taiwan was too risky, especially when other countries in the region like South Korea, Thailand and Malaysia could offer the same things without the complications. Taiwan was forced by circumstance to do things the hard way. If it was going to build out the industries it needed to make itself a developing and eventually advanced economy, it would need to do it itself. Three of the ten major construction projects, the steel mill, the shipyard and the oil refinery, were all industries in their own right and would be run by state-owned companies and provide ongoing employment in value-adding roles into the future. All of these operations are still going to this day, and Taiwan remains one of the largest shipbuilders, steel manufacturers and oil refiners in the world. The Taiwanese government also introduced policies to co-invest into promising businesses in targeted industrial sectors alongside other investors domestically and internationally. This made the country less risky to outside investors because they could co-invest alongside the government to get the same operations going at a much lower upfront cost. This also helped the government allocate capital effectively because it reduced the chances of bad investments being made by the government due to corruption or poor planning because it still needed the backing of a private entity with a profit motive. The country had seen the success of consumer electronics in places like South Korea and Japan and wanted to get into the industry for itself, but in a clever move the country wanted to do things a little bit differently. Instead of making their own consumer electronics to compete with everybody else, the Taiwanese government worked with Philips, a Dutch electronics company, to invest into a company called TSMC. This company would focus solely on semiconductor manufacturing to cater to other companies rather than compete with them. Today, TSMC is the country's largest company, largest exporter and certainly the industry that gets the country the most attention. But this success story is just one example of what has made Taiwan so prosperous today. Taiwan is a heavily trade-focused economy, with exports accounting for 70% of their GDP, but only one-third of their exports are integrated circuits. The country is still competitive in everything from machinery to chemicals and other advanced equipment. They bring in resources from all over the world, add value to them with their world-leading industries, state-of-the-art infrastructure and an acutely skilled population, and then they export those resources at a big markup. It sounds like the most basic economic system imaginable, but getting to this point has not been easy, and it's a challenge that a lot of other economies have not been able to overcome. It's also something that makes the economy both more and less secure. 
The reason that tensions between Taiwan and China get so much attention is because all of our economies are highly dependent on the industries housed in these two nations. There are more territorial disputes happening around the world right now than we could name in a single video, and most people have never heard of any of them. Taiwan has protection agreements with some of the most powerful countries in the world, not out of the goodness of their hearts, but because they need to maintain their supply of high-tech computer chips. But this is starting to change. Major investments have been made all around the world into building new semiconductor manufacturing facilities to reduce global reliance on one single country in a compromised geopolitical position. This combined with the more general trend of onshoring and friendshoring manufacturing could badly hurt such an export-dependent economy at the same time as removing its greatest claim to international protection. Hopefully neither of these problems are ever fully realised in Taiwan, but it is something that the country should be prepared for. Okay, now it's time to put Taiwan on the Economics Explained National Leaderboard. Which you've done before, but that was three years ago now, using data that's out of date thanks to a lot of major changes the global economy has seen in that time. Another little disclaimer before we get into it is that normally we use World Bank figures for these scores, but because the World Bank does not track Taiwan's economy, we'll be using IMF figures instead. The methodologies of these two organisations are slightly different, so their figures are too. It won't be dramatic, but it is worth mentioning. Starting as always with size, Taiwan has a nominal GDP of $762 billion, making it the 21st largest economy in the world, just ahead of Poland and just behind Switzerland. Taiwan gets a 7 out of 10. That output is produced by a population of 23.5 million people, giving the country a highly respectable GDP per capita of $33,907. It's achieved this while maintaining a relatively low cost of living, which means that while by nominal figures it's roughly in line with Japan, but adjusted for purchasing power parity, it's one of the most prosperous countries in the world, ranking between Denmark and the Netherlands. But since we use nominal figures, Taiwan gets a 7 out of 10. Stability and confidence is good, but not great. The country now has a robust democratic process, a well-functioning legal system, world-leading companies and relatively low national debt, but it's also highly dependent on exports, and as unlikely as it may be in the immediate future, there are always those tensions with their much larger and more powerful neighbour to the west. Taiwan gets another 7 out of 10. Growth has been strong. In the last decade the economy has grown by more than 50% thanks largely to their increasingly diverse selection of high value exports. Taiwan gets an 8 out of 10. Finally, industry. Obviously Taiwan does very well here, especially in traditional manufacturing industries that turn raw materials into something more valuable that can be sold at a profit but it still lags behind the world's major industrial superpowers if for no other reason than it's just a smaller country with a smaller population. It's also not as developed in industries like finance, consumer goods, automobiles or information technologies. It's fine for its size, but not a world leader, so it gets an 8 out of 10. Altogether, that gives Taiwan a rather impressive score of 7.4 out of 10, putting it up a few spots on the leaderboard. We have recently made a video on Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa's global group known as the BRICS, an economic group that Taiwan stands in direct opposition to. You should be able to click to that on your screen now. Thanks for watching mate, bye. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
Listen to Nerd Wallets Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.